But we said all semester long that John is writing so that you would see who Jesus is. That's what he tells us in the 20th chapter. When he says, I'm writing that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. John is interesting. What he's saying is, is I'm not writing from a position of neutrality. No, he's saying, I'm writing so that you will believe. I am biased, says John. I want you to believe in the person and work of Jesus. And so he's writing this tonight. And we come tonight to the last of the seven signs that John talks about in his book. We have been calling them miracles. John calls them signs. And what signs do, as we've looked at all semester, is they point to something greater. They point to a greater reality than what is present and what meets us. And that will certainly happen tonight as we look at what is the highest and the most awesome, in the truest sense of the word, of His signs. The raising of a man from the dead. That's what we're going to look at tonight. But before we go there, I want to share a story with you. A few years ago, uh, one of my favorite shows, I mean, it's got, I don't know where it's at these days, I haven't watched it in a while. Uh, in fact, in my, like, I don't know what y'all have in your, like, other dream life where you wish you could be something. Mine is I would love to be on the show SNL. Uh, and so, uh, anyways, on SNL, a few years ago, uh, an SNL alum, when I was maybe in y'all's shoes, uh, you know him as Will Ferrell, because that's what his name is. Um, he portrayed, he sort of came back and brought his very famous character, Harry Carey, back to life, because he was hosting and he brought it back to life. And, and uh, Harry Carey had recently passed away. If you don't know who Harry Carey is, he was the announcer for the Chicago Cubs baseball team. And he had this really crazy voice, and Ferrell had this great character. I'm sure you all know all about it. But anyways... Supposedly, Farrell, uh, or Carey, comes back from the dead. And he gives a weekend update report. And Seth Meyers, I think, is asking Carey how, how life's been. And he says, you know, um, he says, Hey, uh, heaven's great. Uh, and he said, my favorite thing about heaven is that you, have the, you get there and they have these things called angel books. And angel books, when they start, and the greatest thing about angel bucks is after you spend angel bucks, you still have a hundred angel bucks in your wallet. And the whole picture is one of just sort of like funny and humorous and that sort of thing. Now, while I'm sure that SNL was not trying to make a theological statement about heaven, and nor was Will Ferrell, I do think that this tells us something. I think that this shows us that there are broad swaths of our culture that, that it indicates to them what they think concerning death and what life after death looks like. And maybe, maybe perhaps many of us too are perplexed and confused about death and what happens after we die. Some would say it's simple. You go into the ground, that's it. Life expires and so do you. And yet others of us would perhaps say something like this, that you're reincarnated to a higher or lower social class. Others, say, others still say this. This comes from a book. Listen to what one writer writes. Heaven is somewhere you believe in. It's a beautiful place where you can sit on soft clouds and talk to other people who are there. At night, you can sit next to the stars, which are the brightest of anywhere in the universe. If you're good throughout your life, then you get to go to heaven. When your life is finished here on earth, God sends angels down to take you up to heaven to be with Him. 
This person writes, Grandma is alive in me. Most important, she taught me to believe in myself. She's in a safe place, meaning heaven, with the stars, with God and the angels. She's watching over me from there. Confusion, y'all. Utter confusion about what the nature of death is and what happens after it. And here's the thing. We're not alone. You know that? And you know who joins us tonight? Two ladies that you heard about in this story. They're sisters. Martha and Mary. And for them, they too are confused about death and what happens after death. That's where Jesus comes. He comes and He speaks on this. And in light of this, John shows us Jesus speaking directly about death, directly about life after death. And in short, Jesus is saying this, I, not Ryan, I am the one in whom death dies. I'm the one in whom death and through whom death will itself die. I am the one who has conquered death and all who are in me will do the same. That's what Jesus is going to tell us tonight. In other words, y'all, Jesus is speaking the final word about death. And tonight, His claim that He is the resurrection and the life provides an incredible clarity for the confusion that confronts us in our day and age. But I want to show you something tonight. That the clarity comes in the most surprising of ways. It comes in confounding ways. Ways that surprise us. And I think tonight the best way to sort of head this is that there's three surprises that Jesus shows us about death tonight. The first, I'll have to fill them out, but the first is that the first is that Jesus stays. The second, Jesus urges. And lastly, we're going to see that Jesus raises. All of them will confound us as we see. But let's take a look tonight starting at this idea of Jesus stays. So my first point, there it is, Jesus stays. Now, we're going to have to actually go back a little bit in the narrative to figure out a bit about uh, what is going on in the story. I was tempted tonight to just open up the Bible, read the story, all of it, and just talk about it. But I want to do a little bit of this now. Let's go back and kind of set the stage. Jesus had friends named Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were all brothers and sisters. And what has happened is that the man, Lazarus, has gotten very sick. So much so that he, Jesus, his friend, is away in another town. And they send, the family sends messengers to say this, Your friend Lazarus is ill. Please come. And what's interesting is, is that the text tells us, if you have your Bibles with you, it's not printed on your sheet, but in verse 5 of this chapter, which we did not read, it says this, He says, This illness does not lead to death, for it is the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then I love verse 5. It says this, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then verse 6, So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Let me say this another way. This text is telling us that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. But this text is also saying, so he stayed. And what do you think happened because Jesus stayed in the town and didn't go back to the town of Bethany where Lazarus was ill and was dying? What do you think happened? You got it. Lazarus died. 
Now, I think that's utterly confounding to us. Because we would think, whoa, 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 what are you talking about here? Um, we, like Martha, in this, in this passage here where she says this, Martha says to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think that's the way we would think about it. If you would have showed up, none of this would have happened. And yet the text is telling us that Jesus, out of the great love that He has for Lazarus, Martha, and for Mary, He stays, He doesn't show up, and He lets Lazarus die. I just want to ask you, do you have a picture of Jesus like that? Does that not confound you? That He would stay put when He could have acted otherwise? Why in the world does He do something like that? Why? And what is this text telling us? Well, it's very clear. If we would go back and read, we would understand this. He would tell us this. That Jesus is is using the death of Lazarus to make much of God. To bring glory to God. So that God would be front and center, not only in Lazarus' life, in Mary's life, in Martha's life, but in your life and in my life too. And I think this is very important. Because you have to see that Jesus looks at death and He says, it's no match for me. I have no problem with it. I really have no problem with it. Because why? Because I'm the sovereign one over it. I hold death on a short leash. I know how to handle it. I know how to fix it. And just because you will die one day doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have just as much control on your death if you are in Him, as He did in Lazarus' death as well. You need to understand that tonight. And I think that provides us great hope. And here's why. Because all of y'all are living, as much as I am, in the wake of some crazy stuff that has happened internationally, not only in our present day and age, but what just happened last week in Paris. And there's been several deaths because of that. And I want to simply ask you this. How do you make sense of it? How are you going to make sense of what's going on in the world that you're in And what Jesus is saying is is this, I own it. I am master of it. And I will show you how much I'm master of it by how I let the events of it fall out. Here's the thing that you must see. I cannot go into this tonight, but I want you to understand this. It's not as though Jesus kind of is like toying with people as if He's a disinterested puppeteer managing the affairs of these three people's lives. Does that make sense? I think it would be real easy to hear what I'm saying tonight and to hear him say, and hear me say, yeah, Jesus just sort of uses us as puppets to do whatever He wants to do. And I want to suggest to you that's not the case at all. I can't go into it tonight, but there is a scene, if you would read between what we read, where Jesus is literally standing at the face of the tomb and, the, and his friend is dead, y'all. His friend is dead. And he stands outside the tomb. And you know what he does? He's not puppeteering. He does what all of us would do when our friends die. He's crying. Jesus is crying. And what that reminds us of is that Jesus is not a disinterested puppeteer toying around with our heartstrings but rather that He Himself knows what death is like. That He Himself knows what it means to lose a friend. And so, He's completely human in that moment. He looks at death and He weeps at it. And I just tell you that to kind of say this. You need to understand that Jesus 
stays. And when he stays, all of this happens, and that's entirely confounding. So what difference would that make for you and for me? Well, we've already said, he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he stayed. He did not come. And I want to ask you this. Do you have a view of God's sovereignty like that? That He is sovereign over even your death. That He is at work putting on the glory of God. He's putting it on display. You see, here's what I think happens for most of us. Most of us think this. You know what? Here's the deal. How many times have you heard this? You do not have to raise your hand because you've probably said it like I have. We think this, that if you become a Christian, your life's going to get easy. If you're not a Christian here tonight, let me tell you this. Your life doesn't get easier all of a sudden if you become a Christian. You need to have somebody tell you that. Because here's why. I love it when people say this. You know what? God loves you and He's got a wonderful plan for your life. And you know what? That's true. But what about Lazarus? What was Lazarus' wonderful plan for his life? It meant that he would die. That was his wonderful plan for his life. And you know what else Paul says? Paul says this to Timothy. He says this, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So here's what I want to say to you tonight. You will suffer if you are a Christian. You will suffer. That's part of the world that you live in. You're swimming against the stream of the current of the culture of the age. And for you to live as a follower of Jesus will mean that you will suffer in some way. But here's the hope. That you have a God that takes the worst of your sufferings and makes them beautiful. And that's what we're going to look at as we continue to go through this. And here's what I want you to see. If you do not see that there is a point, that, there is, that the worst sort of suffering that you can go through is meaningless suffering, a suffering that is pointless. But perhaps what the Christian story is telling you is that there is no such thing if you are a Christian. That behind it all, God is working to bring about your good and God's glory. That's what this is telling us. That God is at work even behind the darkest and deepest of our sufferings. Secondly, here's what I want us to see as well. Not only does Jesus stay, I use this word urges because I couldn't think of another word, so sorry, y'all are stuck with it. But let's look at verses 23 to 27. And here's what I mean when I say that Jesus urges. Look at this. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection and on the last day. Pause. She is saying that she knows that there is a general revelation that will happen. That was prominent in Jewish thought of the day. And she's saying, yeah, I know that he's going to raise again from the dead one day. And Jesus says, you're confused about what I'm talking about. And so I need to say this to you. Your brother will rise from again. And then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then this. Do you believe this? He looks square at Martha and he says, do you believe this? Now what is he doing? He is saying this. Jesus wants us to know if she thinks that He is the one in whom resurrection and life is bound up in. Therefore, He is saying that the resurrection, Martha, Mary, Ryan, you, is bound up in me. And what that means is, is He's trying to get Martha to see, I, don't want, you to, I want you to be rid of 
your sort of generalization and your pseudo-spirituality, Martha. And I want you to do business with me. And here it is. Do you believe that I am the one that in whom resurrection life is found? That when you die, if you believe in me, you see new life. Do you believe that? Several years ago, I went down to uh, the country of New Zealand and I spent a couple of months there and one of the most fun and crazy things that I did was there was this like bridge about 200 feet tall and there was a river down below it. And um, I was crazy enough to tie some bungee cord to my ankles and go over it. It was awesome, by the way, because I got dipped in the water. It was like, and then whipped back out of the water. It was killer. Anyways, yes, I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie like that. Um, but now that I'm, uh, I have children and I have a life insurance policy, I can't do that anymore. So um, here's the deal. Um, there were several people going in front of me, jumping off the bungee cord. And I was like, man, that bungee cord, um, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I trust it, I guess, because all these people are coming back up. But the thing was, was that the only way the only way that I was ever going to trust that bungee cord was how? As if I jumped. I actually had to jump off the ledge to say, oh, it was easy for me to trust that the bungee cord will hold me up so long as I am safe and sound sitting on that ledge, right? But the moment I strapped on that bungee cord and jumped, that's when I began to say this, I trust it. Now listen, Jesus is saying the same thing to Martha. He is saying, do you believe that do you trust me? Have you committed yourself to me? Have you given more than just intellectual assent that I am the risen Savior, the one who is to rise, rather? Now we see her confession. She says, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. But this is the question that's posed before even you tonight. Jesus is urging you to do business with Him. Several of y'all were like me in college. You grew up in a home where you were sort of around Christianity. You were around it. You were sort of on the fringes. You played church. You knew all the church language. But you had never trusted in Jesus like I trusted in that bungee cord. And I simply want to ask you tonight, why? Why won't you look to Him? Won't you begin maybe tonight, even for the first or for the millionth time, trusting in Him? Looking to Him to be the one that has resurrection life? This is what Jesus is trying to get you to see tonight. That He is on offer for you. That He's sitting there freely and faithfully saying, Come, take me. I'm here for the offer. I will be the one who can bring you new life and can bring you the resurrection power that comes from it. You see, here's what I want you to see tonight. Jesus is the one in whom, the only one in whom, He is the one saying, do you believe in Me? In other parts of the Gospel that we'll look at later in the spring, Jesus will say this, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But what's interesting is, is that Jesus is not saying, this, Christianity is not a find-your-own-path sort of spirituality. This is not create or choose your own religion sort of spirituality. Jesus Himself is going to say, pluralism, schmuralism, 
a lot of ways to God, shum a lot of ways to God. No. I, I am the resurrection and the life. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus is, Jesus is an exclusivist. He's, a, he's an exclusivist. He says there's one way. It's through me. And here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Trust Him tonight. Look to Him tonight. He's urging you to do so. And lastly, the idea of Jesus raising, this third point that I want to drive home tonight. I share it with you because I think this. Let's just be honest. Okay? Pretty confounding, pretty puzzling, pretty surprising. Jesus stays. He doesn't come back and heal. Granted, that makes sense. Troubling. Jesus is urging me to believe something. Yeah, in our day and age where we try to say, hey, you know what? You've got to find your own path and you've got to find your own way. Jesus is saying, nope, nope. They didn't like that. It's me or nobody. That's what Jesus is saying. I get that too. It's kind of troubling, right? But let's just be honest. There's a dead man that he raises from the ground. That to me is the most surprising. Somebody who didn't have life in them now has life in them. And that's what we're going to look at now. Here's what's going on. In verses 38 to 44, that last chunk there, Jesus has spoken about being the one in whom and through whom resurrection life is found. And now he's going to go put his money where his mouth is. Do you know what I mean by putting his money where his mouth is? Okay, let me tell you a story about money and mouth. Um, I uh, went to the University of Tennessee. It's where I went to college. And I'll never forget one year. Y'all will see this on the football field. It's pretty amazing. Um, when guys were playing football, when the college team was playing football, beforehand they're warming up, the punters are punting, and everybody's doing their drills. Um, it was an amazing sight. I can't remember who it was. It may have been Georgia or South Carolina. It came to Neyland Stadium. And Tennessee's team had run out on the crowd. The crowd was going crazy. And then out of the south end zone uh, comes the opposing team. Everybody's booing, whatever. And this one South Carolina guy comes running down here, and he runs right into the middle of all the Tennessee players and just starts running his mouth and just starts bumping gums like, and just trash-talking. And everybody about it. I mean, it was like, I mean, the players were hot, shoving match and everything. I don't remember his number. Let's just call him number 23. LeBron James? N- no, it wasn't LeBron James. <laughs> um, South Carolina, whoever the team was, kicks off. And this dude is on kickoff. And I want you to know what happens. Tennessee's guy catches the ball like this. Within a split second, guess who pops him so hard he falls on his butt and the ball pops loose, they scoop it up and score a touchdown. Anybody want to take a guess on what number it was? 23. That boy trash-talked and put his money where his mouth was. He showed up. He showed up. And this is what happens. Jesus is showing up right now. Jesus has talked the game. And He's like, I'm the resurrection of life. And now He gives a symbol to show it. And that's what he does with his friend, Lazarus. You see it there. Take away the stone. Lord, are you crazy? It's been four days since he's been dead. There's going to be an awful smell. Have you ever smelled bodies that are decaying in the hot Judean sun? Why in the world would we do this? And he said, did I not tell you, and here it is, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, 
I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you've always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Pause. And that's exactly what John wants you to see. John wants you to see that Jesus is the Christ. If this is real, if this is really happening, then you have to deal with Jesus. Who is this guy? You see, here's the thing. Jesus is showing us that He is the one that has power over life and death. And here's what I want you to see. After He demonstrates this teaching, this is a sign that points to this greater miracle, this greater miracle that is to come. What do I mean? It, I mean this, that the resurrection and the raising of Lazarus points to something greater, and that is Jesus' own death. He was the one that was also in a grave, and He would come out. Here's the thing. Do you know what happened to Lazarus after Jesus raised him from the dead? Does anybody know? He ended up dying again. He ended up dying again. He still needs Jesus. He still needs Jesus to raise him from the grave. And here's one of the things that I want you to see. Is that Jesus, when He pulls Himself, and He pulls Lazarus out of the grave, He is showing us that He has mastery over death. I love this line. I cannot read it all. But it comes from John Donne's sonnet. Um, have you all ever heard it? It's called Death Be Not Proud. It is beautiful. I don't know if you like English literature, if that's your thing. But you really need to like this sonnet because it is awesome. I'm not going to read it all, but I want to read just a couple of lines. It starts out like this. He's personifying death. and he's ta- John Donne was a Christian. And he was taunting death. And he's looking at death in the face and he says, Death, do not, well, death, be not proud. Though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death. Nor yet canst thou kill me. The last line, two lines of the sonnet are amazing. He says this. He says, One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shall die. That's powerful. John Donne knew something about the power of Jesus' resurrection, His power over death. That when Jesus raised Himself from the dead, He looked death at the face, He gave it the finger and said, I own you. I will use your weight against you. What you mean for harm, death, I will bring beauty out of. I love the image of judo, right? Y'all know what judo is. You wrestle, you use the weight of your opponent to leverage it against Himself to subdue Him. That's exactly what Jesus has done with death. He uses all of weight's death in a wrestling match with Himself. He lets death come over Him and by His own death, He pins death to the ground and says, Death, thou shalt die. Y'all, come on. That is awesome. That is amazing. Because it means if you are in Jesus Christ, that death is but a short sleep past and you wake eternally. That is your great hope. And I want, you to, I want you to hear me saying this tonight, that there is so much confusion about what happens to us after death. And I just want to give you a brief synopsis. And if you want to talk about it more with me, I will gladly take you out to lunch and we'll, we'll talk about it. But here is the Christian narrative of what happens after you die. Contrary to popular belief, 
You do not die and then become a genderless, fat, cherub little baby, sprout wings, and play the harp for the rest of eternity. That's not what happens to you. You see, actually the resurrection of Lazarus tells us something incredible. Lazarus did not float out of the grave. He walked out of it. And that's why. Because the resurrection is a physical resurrection. And when you are raised from the dead one day, if you are in Christ, you're going to have a body. You're not going to be some ethereal spirit floating around for all eternity. You're going to have flesh. You're going to have skin on. And if you doubt it, what did Jesus come out of His grave with? Skin on. Bones. He actually said this to the guys. Hey, fellas, are you, are you fishing? Give me something to eat. That's what it says in John 21. We'll look at that later in the year. The resurrection is a physical resurrection. It is not a spiritual one. It is not a... It's one that's got flesh on. Stuff matters. Stuff matters. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. We can't go into all the details of the resurrection, but I, I do want you to know that that's what happens. Now listen, we're going to land the plane here. I want you to see that uh, Jesus Himself is telling us that because of the resurrection, everything has changed. Lazarus is going to die again, but even he will be raised, and so will you. Jesus Himself says that I am the resurrection and the life. And here's what this means. It means that one day Jesus Himself will walk into it, will go into a tomb. That Jesus Himself will one day die on a cross, and that you if you are in Him, if you have trusted Him, if you look to Him, if you base your life on Him, if you say, my life is His life and His life is mine, then His death is yours. And that means that once His death is yours, His life after death is yours too. And therefore, Jesus walks into the tomb so that you may walk out. That's the new promise of the resurrection. It is the most glorious and beautiful thing about Christianity. And I want to stop here and say this. If you do not know Jesus tonight, I'm not going to make some weird appeal where everybody bows their head and closes their eyes. and do all. I'm not going to do that. I'm, not going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to dignify you tonight. I'm going to say this instead. The question that every one of us must deal with is this. Is not, do you like Christianity? It's, that's not the question. It's not that if you like its teachings. It's not that you like it or not. There's plenty of things about Christianity that are hard for me. The question is this. Did a man named Jesus down a cross, was he put into a tomb, and did he walk out of it? That's it. Did that historically happen? Do you believe that it did? That's where you must start with Christianity. You must start there with the historical evidence of the resurrection. Look to it. See it as true. Come. Come investigate it if you don't believe it. There's, there's sundry resources available. We'd love to have you learn more about it. Y'all listen, it's been a great semester being with you. It's been a pleasure to look at John with you. I hope you'll come back in two weeks as we celebrate Advent and Christmas and that you'll come back next semester as we continue to look at what Jesus tells us throughout the Gospel of John. Let's pray.